Spring is a great time of year to do some cleaning around the house and clean up your finances. And something else that you can do for your family this spring is shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius as part of your financial planning for the year. Getting life insurance today means you'll have peace of mind so that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover expenses, things like mortgage payments, credit card payments, car loans, or even college costs. I have a wife and two kids, with a third on the way, by the way, and business partners that all depend on my income. So I needed life insurance and Policy Genius made that so incredibly easy. And with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. One of my favorite ways to invest is real estate, but not everyone wants to handle tenants and toilets. Enter Fundrise. They make it easy to invest in real estate with their flagship fund. Now, as always, you always have to carefully consider the investment objectives and risks of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. But right now, demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. And the Fundrise flagship fund plans on going on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes with just as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash PFP. As always, carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash PFP. That's fundrise.com slash PFP. This is a paid advertisement. On this episode of the Personal Finance Podcast, we're going to talk about 10 ways you can increase your investment returns. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Personal finance podcast i'm your host andrew founder of mastermoney.co and today on the personal finance podcast we're going to be talking about 10 different ways that you can use to increase your investment returns if you guys have any questions make sure you hit us up on instagram or tiktok at mastermoneyco and follow us on spotify apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you love listening to this podcast too. and if you want to help out the show leave a five star rating and review on apple podcast or Spotify. And then don't forget to check us out on YouTube as well, the personal finance podcast on YouTube and Master Money on YouTube as well. So today, I'm really excited about this episode because we're going to be talking about ways to increase your investment returns. And for most people, if you invest in the market and or if you invest in businesses or real estate, you can utilize some of these ways to increase your returns. So I want you to listen through this list and see which one of these do you need to add to your investment plan because it's really important to have an investment plan put into place and making sure that you are following that investment plan, which we will get into in this episode as well. So as we go through this list, make sure you're thinking through, hey, 
which one of these pertains to me? How can I utilize these to increase my investment returns? Because these small return increases can make a massive difference when it comes to the long run of your investment returns, especially if you're in your 20s or your 30s. You have so much time for compound interest to be working for you that if you make these small adjustments now, let's say you get a half a percent to a 1% rate of return differential between those two things. That could be hundreds of thousands of dollars that you have in your retirement account by the time you hit retirement age. And or if you're looking to become financially independent, you need these additional things to make sure that you have more money and that your portfolio is growing over time. So it's very important to understand how some of these things work so that you can make these adjustments now. The sooner you make these adjustments, the better off you will be in the long run when it comes to your investing career. So making sure that you think through these, which ones pertain to you is going to be incredibly powerful. So without further ado, if that's something you're into, let's get into it. Number one is to swap out high fee investments for low cost investments. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for any period of time whatsoever, you know that your boy loves low cost investments. In fact, that is the way that I invest for the long term. I love low cost investments when it comes to investing in stocks. I love it when it comes to investing in real estate. I love it when it comes to buying businesses. I want to make sure that my investments have minimal to zero fees whatsoever. Why? Because those fees, I want those to compound and I want them to spit off more cash for me in my future. I do not want to give my fees away to somebody else because it's a six to seven figure decision. If you haven't heard our episode, we talk about the million dollar money decisions you need to focus on. In that episode, we explain how important it is to reduce your fees. And if you are paying an advisor 1%, 2% just to manage your portfolio, this could be something that could be detrimental to your investment returns over time. Sure, you're going to have great investment returns, but you could be having so much more. And we'll give a couple of examples here as well. Now, the first thing you want to look at is, are you in actively managed funds? Now, what is an actively managed fund? This is something like a mutual fund. And a lot of 401k providers will put you into an actively managed fund automatically. So you have to look at the fees of your actively managed funds. Now, how do you find that? You can look at what is called the expense ratio. So one of my favorite tools to do this is if you go to Morningstar.com, When you go to Morningstar, you can plug in whatever the ticker symbol is for the mutual fund that you own, and you will see what is called the expense ratio right there. If that expense ratio is above a half a percent, then you definitely need to reconsider what you are looking at, and you need to do some research on some other investments, because actively managed funds are problematic in a number of different ways, one of which is they never beat the market. So if you're looking at the S&P 500, actively managed funds do not beat the market over the long term historically. In addition, the second reason is that they trade in and out of stocks much more, meaning that their turnover ratio is higher. Now, what is the turnover ratio? That means they are buying and selling a ton of different securities. Well, when they do this, when they buy and sell a ton of different securities, what is happening here is that you're going to be paying more taxes come tax times on your investment returns, whereas index funds and ETFs have much lower turnover ratios. Now, how do you find that turnover ratio? You can Google the ticker symbol and say, hey, what is the turnover ratio for whatever the ticker symbol is? It will come up and it'll show you that. But this is a number a lot of people don't talk about. That turnover ratio does have tax implications. So you want to make sure you reduce those fees when it comes to that turnover ratio. Number three is that actively managed funds do have much higher fees. Those fees are something that you want to make sure that you are reducing, keeping those low. 
What are those fees going to? They're going to the fund manager who has an entire team looking at these securities, which is not beating the market. So none of it truly benefits you. The only person those fees benefit is the fund manager and the company you're paying those fees to. So look at your mutual funds. Look what's in your 401k. Look what's in your Roth IRA. If it is something with a high expense ratio, you want to reconsider it. We have a bunch of episodes talking about index funds and ETFs that you can check out where you can look at this. Now, this is the difference between an actively managed fund, which is what a mutual fund is, fund managers buying and selling, and a passively managed fund. What is a passively managed fund? This is ETFs where all they do is they just mirror an index. Say you buy a NASDAQ 100 index fund, all it's going to do is follow the NASDAQ 100, and it's going to buy the 100 investments inside of that NASDAQ 100. It's self-cleansing. There's a ton of different benefits that happen when you buy passive investments. That's why we created an entire course called Index Fund Pro, teaching you how to passively invest, because it is the way I invest my own money. So we talk and walk through that in that course. Now, here's some examples on why these fees matter so much. Let's say, for example, you had a million dollar portfolio and you had it in a passively managed fund or a portfolio that is all passively managed with a 0.10% expense ratio. That's actually a higher expense ratio than a lot of them. For example, index funds and ETFs usually have 0.03% or 0.04%, three basis points, four basis points. What I'm talking about here is about 10 basis points, 0.10%. So I'm going on the higher end. And with that, a million-dollar portfolio would cost you $1,000 per year with your investments. But let's say you had an actively managed portfolio, meaning a mutual fund with 1.2% expense ratio. If you had a 1.2% expense ratio, you'd be paying $12,000 per year on a $1 million portfolio. You'd be paying $11,000 more per year on that portfolio, but that's not the only cost. Now, imagine this over a long time frame. Let's say you had 30 years of a million-dollar portfolio. Obviously, most people don't, but let's say you had 30 years of a million-dollar portfolio right now. That means that $11,000 cannot be compounding for you towards your future. This is the opportunity cost that you always have to be looking at when it comes to investment fees. So with that, $11,000 is missing out on compounding yearly. Every 10 years, that means you're missing out on contributing $111,000, which is compounding over time. If you look at that over the course of 30 years, it is millions of dollars, millions of dollars. Even if you hit retirement age at 60 and you have 30 years of retirement living all the way up to your 90 years old, that is going to be millions of dollars that you could have in your pocket or compounded based on opportunity cost. This is the problem with investment fees. This is why it is the biggest decision that you have to make when it comes to your investment outside of asset allocation, because if you do not do this, you are making a million dollar decision. So people who focus on their $3 lattes every single day and don't focus on the things like this are really missing out on what truly matters with your money. Focus on what matters and don't focus on the things that really don't matter. Focus on the big problems. Now, what to invest in if you want to get out of actively managed funds to passively managed funds would be index funds, ETFs, cash flowing assets, things like real estate, businesses, maybe even niche websites. There's a bunch of different ways that you can invest your dollars. I like index funds and ETFs for most people who are starting out, but you can look and do your research to see which one might suit your needs best. Number two, this is a big one. Avoid strategies that are not proven. So some of the best decisions that you can make are the ones when you decide not to do something. So here's a bunch of losing strategies that I want you to think through and see if you've ever done these. Now, there's a couple that I've done that I'll give you a couple of stories as well. So trying to pick winning stocks. So for a long time, 
before I started investing in index funds and ETFs, I would try to pick the winning stocks. And I would go out there and I would try to pick individual stocks. Well, if you've heard an episode with Brian Feraldi, who does pick individual stocks, he says 99% of investors should not pick individual stocks. Warren Buffett himself, you've heard me talk about this all the time, the greatest investor of all time, says most investors should not be picking individual stocks. They should be investing in index funds and ETFs. Why? The reason for this is we are not good at choosing stocks. Individuals are not good at choosing stocks for a number of reasons, one of which emotions come into play. Another of which is we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. Third is if you are going to pick individual stocks, you need to be doing a ton of research, including reading hundreds of pages a day. You need to dive into 10K reports. If you're investing in individual stocks and you don't know what a 10K is, and that's the first problem you have right there. But you need to be diving into quarterly reports. You need to be listening to earnings calls. You need to understand what's going on with that company because you are buying a business. And when you buy a business, you have to know everything about that company. So investing in individual stocks is very difficult. Now, my best performing asset over the last 10 years is an individual stock. I bought Apple stock years and years and years ago. It is my best performing stock of all time. And I did a chart on the Master Money newsletter where I showed you what the difference between buying an S&P 500 index fund and Apple stock was since 2005. And since 2005, it was something like if you put $1,000 into Apple stock, it grew to $112,000. If you put $1,000 into the S&P 500, it grew to like $4,500. But it doesn't matter because we cannot know what the next Apple stock is. The reason why I bought Apple stock was because I realized very early on that everybody's addicted to their phones. They're looking at their phone. They're creating all these different products. They have an economic moat around their products, meaning that's really hard to compete with Apple. There's a bunch of different things that are in play, but still, I got lucky. And so we don't know what the next Apple stock would be. So within this, we need to understand that we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. So if you can't beat the market, become the market. Number two is buying penny stocks. That's another losing strategy. So If you don't know what a penny stock is, it's any stock that's priced below $5. So early on in my investing career, when I was a teenager, I bought penny stocks. And when I bought penny stocks, I thought I was going to hit it big and maybe buy something for 20 cents. And the reason why I did this is because I realized I could afford a lot of shares. And so I used to subscribe to a bunch of penny stock newsletters. And this is before newsletters became really, really popular. And so I got this one newsletter to my email. And when this email came in, I looked at this newsletter and it said, here's the penny stock you need to buy. And it was some company I never heard of. I didn't even think twice. I put all of my money into this penny stock. Now, I was like 14, 15, maybe 16, somewhere in that range. So all of my money was like $1,000. I had to work really hard when I was young for my money. So I took all my money, all the chips into this one stock. In one day, I lost my entire net worth. In one day from buying this penny stock. And I learned a very valuable lesson that day. And it's that do not chase the fads. Do not listen to people and what the media is saying, all this different stuff. Instead... You got to learn what you're doing and you got to get educated before you start doing this stuff. And that's very obvious now. But if you do not fully understand what you're investing in, then you are much better off taking the time to invest in yourself, doing the research so that you can understand what is going on. Number three is day trading. So most people don't know this. I don't even know if I've ever talked about this in the podcast, but for about a year, I was a professional day trader. And when I did this, I realized something very, very quickly when it comes to day trading. Most people know when to get in when it comes to day trading because there's all these different models that you can put into play to figure out when to get in. Most day traders do not know when to get out. So what happens here is that day traders will start to play with large amounts of money. And when they swing big, they have these large profits, but they also have to be able to stomach major losses. But at the same time, 
Nobody has a crystal ball. So for day trading to actually work, you have to know when to get out. Nobody knows when to get out because nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. There's a bunch of different indicators when it comes to day trading, including economic factors that can completely tank a stock that you just purchased. Day trading is another strategy that I've never seen anybody be able to tell me when you can get out. And if professional money managers on Wall Street 90% of the time cannot beat the S&P 500, why do we as individual investors who want to day trade think we can beat the market? Number four, another losing strategy is buying investments based on dividend yield. So some people will go in there and they'll say, what's the investment with the highest dividend? And they'll look at REITs, they'll look at high-risk dividend stocks. This is a mistake. Instead, you need to be looking at the underlying company and understanding how it works if you're going to be a dividend stock investor. Number five is putting all your eggs into assets with non-intrinsic values. Now, you know me and my beef with gold and all these other things as well. They do not have intrinsic value, meaning that they do not have cash backing them up. You have to have an intrinsic value on your investment, meaning a P&L statement or something that tells me why this asset is worth what it is. Otherwise, it's only worth what somebody else says it's worth and what somebody else is willing to pay for. Are you willing to take the risk to figure out what somebody else is willing to pay for in the future. Because if you can't predict the future, then how do you know what somebody else is going to be willing to pay for that asset? Now, people will say gold never goes down. Gold has really just stayed flat for the majority of the last few decades. And the same thing for crypto. It is the most highly volatile thing that you've ever seen in your entire life. And obviously, people who put all their chips in crypto, especially when Bitcoin was around 60,000, who knows what's going to happen in the future? Bitcoin can go to a million. Bitcoin can go to a thousand. We have no idea what's going to happen. And so putting all of your eggs in those baskets is something you definitely don't want to do. That's a losing strategy that can really cost you a lot of money if you do that. Instead, diversify your investments. If you want to invest in things that have zero intrinsic value, then look at putting maybe 5% of your portfolio, 10% max into things like that. And then the big one, number six, a losing strategy is investing in things you don't understand. If you do not understand your investments, if you don't understand how it works, this includes real estate. This includes businesses. This even includes index funds and ETFs, which is why we created Index Fund Pro so you understood how this works. You've got to make sure that you understand how these investments works before you invest in them. The third way to increase your investment returns is to use tax advantage accounts. So taxes can eat away into your investment returns as well. So making sure that you use tax advantage accounts is going to be incredibly important for most people. Now, there's a bunch of them that we absolutely love here, and we talk about them in order when it comes to the Stairway to Wealth. If you've never heard the Stairway to Wealth, we have an episode called the Stairway to Wealth 2.0, and we have a 3.0 that we're working on that's coming out soon too, that's going to show you the order to invest your dollars, the order to actually work through your money. And so when we talk about this, we want to make sure that we are taking advantage of tax advantage accounts. Why? Because this is another six-figure decision. It'll make a six-figure difference for you if you take advantage of some of these tax advantage accounts. The first one I love is the HSA. The HSA has actually stands for health savings account, but we call it the super retirement account here. Why? Because tax-free money goes in, the money can be invested and grows tax-free, and you can pull the money out tax-free with a qualified medical expense. But there is no timeline as to when you have to pull that qualified medical expense out. So you could have all these expenses that have built up over the course of 30 years. You let that thing invest. And over the course of 30 years, you have a slew of qualified medical expenses where now you can start pulling money out. And as you get older, you're going to have more medical expenses. It's just the fact of life. It's how life works. And so over time, you can use this HSA as an amazing retirement account because it has triple tax benefits, meaning you're sheltering a large portion of your income from taxes. Number two is the Roth IRA and the Roth 401k. Now, the Roth 401k is one of my favorite accounts out there. If your employer offers a Roth 401k, I would definitely look into that and do your research on that. It is one of my favorite accounts. 
It is the one that I max out first. There's also the Roth IRA, which is the one I used to max out first. But now that I have a Roth 401k, that's the one I max out. So if your employer doesn't offer a Roth 401k, or if you're self-employed, you can do a solo Roth 401k, which is what I do, then look into the Roth IRA. Now, these accounts are incredibly beneficial because of tax-free growth. So you're going to put money that you've already been taxed into these accounts, meaning money that already came from your paycheck. You get your paycheck. That money's already been taxed. You take that money. You put it into the Roth IRA or the Roth 401k. That money grows tax-free. Now, if you don't understand why this is so powerful, let's say, for example, you max out a Roth IRA over the course of 30 years, and you have $1.1 million in that Roth IRA over the course of 30 years if you got a 10% rate of return. Well, if you did this, $850,000 of that money that you invested at a 10% rate of return would be the growth of your money. And if that's the growth of your money, the amazing part here is that that is $850,000 that you got completely tax-free. You can see how this really increases your investment returns if you are not paying taxes on $850,000 inside of your investment portfolio. So this is an amazing way for you to really grow that money. Now, why do I like the Roth 401k? Because you can get $22,500 per year into that account. And if you're over the age of 50, you can get even more in there, up to $30,000 into that account. That is extremely powerful for you to use when it comes to growing your wealth over time. Now, the third one is the 401k, the IRA, the 403b, the 457. All of these across the board are what I would consider to be the third bucket, which is pre-tax. So you're gonna put money in pre-tax, meaning that a lot of times when it comes to your 401k, your money goes in out of your paycheck, but you haven't been taxed on that money yet then your money grows. And then when you pull the money out, you get taxed on the money. But you're not paying taxes on this money, meaning that you are putting more money into that account before it's taxed. And then you get taxed on the back end, depending on what your tax rate is in the future. This is another powerful way to increase your returns. Number four is using tax-efficient investments. Now, what are tax-efficient investments? There are two that I absolutely love, one of which is your business. If you have a business, this is a tax-efficient investment. Investing your dollars back into your business is a very wise decision if it is an income-producing activity. And number two is real estate. Now, there's a reason why a lot of millionaires and billionaires invest in real estate because there is a ton of different tax benefits there. Now, when it comes to real estate, you can write off depreciation. There's the 1031 exchange has a ton of different tax benefits where if you buy a like-kind property within a certain amount of days, you don't have to pay taxes on that money. You can roll it over into the next property. There are write-offs on all sorts of different things when it comes to real estate, like property taxes, property insurance, mortgage interest, property management fees, anything associated with your property, you can do tax write-offs on that. So this is a tax-efficient investment. The same thing with your businesses. So with businesses, you can do all sorts of different things that have creative accounting. You could do write-offs. There's a bunch of different various things that you can do. And if you have a business or you have a real estate business, I would definitely have a tax strategist as part of my team. Why? Because a tax strategist is going to give you very specific instructions based on your situation that can save you thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars every year in taxes. In fact, last year, mine saved me about $50,000 in taxes. So making sure that you have a tax strategist in play is going to be one of the best things that you can do. Having that tax strategist is really going to help you, which is an accountant or a CPA, making sure you have somebody on your team that's going to be able to help you do that. All right. The key to winning in any business is making sure you have the right business partner. An example is Procter & Gamble or Ben & Jerry. But what about the perfect partners when it comes to growing your business? That's you and Shopify. Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million dollars stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. And most people know one of your biggest struggles when it comes to starting an online business is finding new customers, and Shopify can help you do that. And what I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash PFP, all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash PFP now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash PFP. One of the hardest things about managing your money is figuring out where it's all going. And most of us are trying to save for several goals at once, which can feel like a daunting task to see if you're on track or even on pace to accomplishing your goals. But there is a tool that makes it so much easier, and it's called Monarch Money. They help you track your money flow without taking a ton of time and energy. And Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. And you can invite them with an extra account with their own login at no extra cost to collaborate with you. And Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can create custom budgets, set notifications, and you can set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications. And after trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash PFP. That's M-O-N- A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash P-F-P for your extended 30-day free trial. Now is a great time of year to get your finances in order. And no matter what your financial goals are this year, when you use Chime's online checking account, you can cross all those financial to-dos off your list. Chime's online checking account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-fee overdraft up to $200. Plus, get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go 24-7. And you get access to over 60,000 ATMs. So start building your credit and open a Chime checking account with at least $200 qualifying direct deposit to get started. Get started at Chime.com PFP. That's Chime.com PFP. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank, NA, or Stride Bank, NA, members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Early access to direct deposit funds depends on payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. And if you need to hire, you need Indeed, because Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. And they have a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. So ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash personal finance. Just go to indeed.com slash personal finance right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash personal finance. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
So number five is to make sure you invest your money in other tax efficient ways by using the correct account for the correct investment. So what I mean by this is that you want to invest tax efficiently. Now, what we're going to talk about here is dividends, because a lot of people don't understand the implications of what happens when it comes to dividends. So there are two different types of dividends, one of which is ordinary dividends. Now, ordinary dividends are typically paid out of a company's profits and are taxed at your regular income tax rate. They're reliable income, but they come with a much higher tax bill. So anything with ordinary dividends, you want to put this into a tax efficient account because they are taxed at your income tax rate. Now, the difference between your income tax and the amount of tax that you pay when it comes to your investments is that your income tax is way higher typically than when it comes to your investments. Now, there's another type of dividend called qualified dividends, and these are taxed at the lower capital gains tax rate or what your investments are taxed on is your capital gains tax rate. And this is usually lower than your income tax rate. Now, this can be a great way to get tax advantage income, but it does come with requirements. So to be considered a qualified dividend, an investment must meet a certain criteria. So it must be held for a certain amount of time and must be a qualified stock. So the best way to check on this is to check with your own CPA, but making sure that if you have investments that have ordinary dividends, if they have ordinary dividends, this is like dividend stocks, this is REITs, these types of things are not tax efficient to have in a taxable brokerage account. You need to make sure, can I put it into something like a Roth IRA? Because this is going to allow you to get that tax efficiency once you start to get some of these dividends, especially if you have a very large portfolio it's really important to make sure that you can get as much as possible into those Roths. So dividend investors, if you are a dividend investor, maxing out the Roth first is gonna be important for you because when you do this, then you can get tax-free income from those dividend stocks. This is a very powerful way to invest with your dividends is that you get that tax-free income. So if you are a dividend investor, I would definitely make sure that I am looking at that. So to recap this, if this is confusing for you, qualified dividends are taxed advantage but have very specific requirements and ordinary dividends have a much higher tax bill because they are taxed close, they are taxed at your income tax rate. Whereas qualified dividends are taxed at your capital gains tax rate, which is much lower. Now, how do you invest tax efficiently? Stocks, index funds, ETFs, all very tax efficient investments if you're not taking those dividends and living on those dividends. So that's another reason why you wanna make sure that you take advantage of some of these tax advantaged accounts. Number six is to invest long-term. So here is a really, really powerful stat that I want you to understand. If you look at the S&P 500 over the course of any 20-year time frame, and you can look at this from 1926 all the way up to 2021 is the data I'm looking at now. And if you're watching on YouTube, we will throw this on the screen so that you can see this chart. Over the course of one month on average, the positive returns are 63.1%. Over the course of one year, 75.7%. Over the course of five years, 88% of the time you have positive returns. Over the course of seven years, 94.9% of the time you have positive returns. Over the course of 15 years, it really starts to increase, 99.8%. And over the course of 20 years, 100% of the time, if you invested in the S&P 500, you have 100% of the time a positive return. That is an amazingly reassuring stat. Obviously, historic returns are not indicative of future results, but at the same time, 100% of the time, for the last almost 100 years, we'd have positive returns if you keep your money invested for 20 years or longer. What does that tell you? That tells you our minimum time frame to invest our dollars, if we're going to buy anything, stocks, bonds, whatever it is, should be to hold that investment for at least 20 years. 
Warren Buffett talks about this all the time. If you're not willing to hold an investment for 10 years, don't even think about holding it for 10 minutes. This is why long-term investing always wins. And you know, here at the Personal Finance Podcast at Master Money, we are long-term investors, meaning that we like to buy and hold for the long-term because we don't have crystal balls. We don't know what's going to happen in the market. And in addition, you need to stay invested because if you miss some of the best days, you are literally losing out on a ton of different gains. In fact, Historically, a large share of the stock market's gains are usually only on a couple of days. And if you miss those days, your returns go way, way down. So if you are fully invested, here's the returns of the S&P if you stay fully invested and if you miss the best days, okay? So if you're fully invested, the S&P 500 returns from 1990 to 2021 have been 10.76%. If you missed the 10 best days invested, so if you didn't stay invested and you missed those 10 best days, it drops to 8.09%. If you missed the 20 best days, it drops to 6.32%. If you missed the 30 best days, 4.83%. So over the course of 31 years, if you missed the 30 best days, your returns drop from 10.76% to 4.83%. If you missed the 40 best days, 3.5% is your returns. 50 best days, 2.2%. And 1.12% if you missed the 60 best days. You could have almost a 0% rate of return if you missed the 60 best days. 1.12%. That is absolutely amazing and shows you why you have to stay invested. If you get in and out of these investments, you are really going to lose out on some of the best returns of your life because you don't know when the best days are gonna be. Nobody knows when the best days are gonna be. You have to stay invested. That is one of the biggest things that you can do to increase your investment returns. You can see it right here is you have to stay invested for the long term. Number seven is to dial up and increase your stock exposure. So we've talked about this a number of times before. When it comes to the difference between stocks and bonds, we know that stocks have historically outperformed bonds. So Vanguard did research on the average annual return in the worst single year of various stock-to-bond allocations from 1926 to 2021. So let's say, for example, we want 100% stocks, and that we're going to assume that that's the riskiest asset that we can have. The average annual return, if you had 100% stocks over that time, would be 12.3%. But in the worst year, you'd have lost 43.1% of your portfolio. So this means if you had $100,000 in your portfolio on that 43% loss, you would have lost $43,000 in value. And for a lot of people, this could be very hard to swallow. Emotions come into play. They're losing half of their portfolio value. They're freaking out. They don't know what to do. And you may even pull some money out and that'd be the wrong decision in most situations. But let's say, for example, we go 100% bonds instead. In the worst year, you would have lost 8.1% of your portfolio. And this is why we talk about bonds are less volatile, which would be much better than that 43% loss. However, on average, the annual return is only 6.3%. So half of what we would have got with the 100% stock portfolio over that time frame, and we would lose less risk with 100% bonds. Now, here's the thing. You're going to get half of the rate of return when it comes to bonds over that time frame. Historically, we know bonds underperform stocks. Stocks will get 12.3%. Bonds got 6.3%. This is a massive difference between the two. Imagine if you had a million-dollar portfolio, but you could have a $2 million portfolio if you just rode out the wave. And that's exactly how this works. Now, a lot of people think bonds are safer, but I'm going to show you something because Javier Estrada tested out a bunch of different portfolios. And what he looked at was the stock-to-bond split. So if you had a 100% stock portfolio, he wanted to look at what is the fail-proof rate of these portfolios. It's very interesting. 100% portfolio has a 3.5% failure rate, and he looked at this from 1926 all the way up to 2014. So a 100% stock portfolio had a 3.5% failure rate. A 90-10 portfolio actually went down to 2.3%, adding some of those bonds in there. The 90-10 portfolio is the Warren Buffett portfolio. An 80-20 portfolio, 2.3%. 
So the Warren Buffett portfolio and the 80-20 portfolio had the same exact failure rate, but the Warren Buffett portfolio would outperform that other portfolio. 1.2% with a 70-30 portfolio and 0% for a 60-40 portfolio. Now, does this mean a 60-40 portfolio is the one you should look at? No, because a something like a Warren Buffett portfolio is gonna highly outperform that 60-40 portfolio. What about a 50-50 portfolio? 1.2%, 50% stocks, 50% bonds. 40-60, 3.5%, meaning 40% stocks, 60% bonds. And this is crazy. 30% stocks and 70% bonds, meaning the safer bet, which is 70% bonds, had a 12.8% failure rate, meaning you fail more if you have a higher weight in bonds than you do stocks. This is a massive revelation for a lot of people because a lot of times they can be when it comes to riding out the waves, but for a fail-proof portfolio, having the majority in bonds instead of stocks based on the results from this study show that it's not always the best option. So making sure you're thinking about that is gonna be incredibly powerful. Number eight, tune out the experts. The number one thing I want you to learn is that you need to stop listening to CNBC, stop listening to the news, tune out all the portfolio experts. For example, Jim Cramer just recommended to invest in Silicon Valley Bank. And recently, Silicon Valley Bank just had a bank run and went completely under. If you listen to that expert, you would have $0 in investments if you invested in that stock portfolio. This is why you never want to listen to experts. You want to do only your own research. And if you don't know how to research, investing passively is the best option for most people, which is index funds, ETFs, those types of things. Now, sure, if you want to watch experts for entertainment value, that's fine. But listening to experts, you want to tune out all the additional noise. Number nine is rebalance regularly. So we're going to have an episode talking about the difference between if you rebalance a portfolio and if you don't rebalance a portfolio. But this is one option that if you do enjoy rebalancing your portfolio, you can definitely look at rebalancing regularly and see what the return differential is. So if you don't know what rebalancing your portfolio, here's what it is. So if you rebalance, all you're doing is trying to get your portfolio back to the original level of diversification. So if you plan on having 60% of your portfolio in stocks and 30% in bonds and 10% in cash, and your stock allocation has grown way above 60%, then what you do is you sell a portion of that stock allocation and reallocate those dollars towards your ideal portfolio range. So if your bonds were like 20%, your stocks went up to 70%, then you'd sell off 10% of your stocks and put them back in a bond so your portfolio is rebalanced. Now, the reason why this is helpful in some situations is that when the market goes down, say for example, that your stock allocation has fallen 40%, like we were just talking about 43% on the worst year due to a declining market, and you rebalance to increase that position, you are buying those stock shares at a lower price, meaning you're buying back into stocks at a much lower price, which we all know, buy low, sell high, so that your returns could be higher if you rebalance regularly. But the opposite is also true if you're rebalancing and you just keep funneling money back into bonds and bonds are underperforming and they don't perform as high as stocks do and you're just taking money and rebalancing back into stocks. So you have to consider the options here and what type of portfolio you have. So what I would do is look at my asset allocation and I would say, what do I need to do with this specific asset allocation? And historically, what has this done over time if I actually rebalance this or if I just let it go and do not rebalance, what would happen? And I would look at both different models to see if you want to rebalance. We'll talk about that in that episode coming up as well. Number 10 is to learn how to manage your emotions. So you know we've talked about this a number of different times. You need to manage your emotions in order to be a good investor. If the stock market goes down, you do not need to freak out, panic, and sell. Instead, you need to understand that this is a very normal event. Stocks go up, stocks go down, but staying invested and continuing to invest is what you want to do over time. Just keep buying. Just keep telling yourself that. Just keep buying is the key when it comes to investing in the market because when it goes down, stocks are on sale. 
whether it's socks or stocks, I like to buy things on sale. So making sure that you look at this and say, hey, this stock is on sale. I can buy more at a cheaper price so that I can increase the amount of returns that I have over time. So managing your emotions and not selling when the market goes down is incredibly important because you're going to miss out on some of the best days if you start selling and buying into different stocks. And we just talked about how you need to stay invested over the long run. And then number 11 is a bonus one. So I'm going to give you a bonus. I know we talked about only having 10, but number 11 is to create an investment plan. The reason why is when you have this investment plan in place, then you can just stick to this investment plan. It takes your emotions out of the equation. And instead, you have an investment plan. You know why you're doing what you're doing. You have it written down. It could be a one-page thing. It could be a paragraph. It doesn't matter what it is, but you create that investment plan. You stick to it. Your returns will increase because you will stay invested over the long run. We have an episode talking about how to create a bulletproof investment plan. If you haven't heard that one, we'll link it up down in the show notes as well so you can check that out and learn how to create that investment plan. Listen, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode on ways to increase your investment returns. If you guys have any questions, make sure you hit me up on Instagram or TikTok. And don't forget to leave that five-star rating and review if you're enjoying this episode and share this with your family members and friends as well if you're truly getting value out of this episode. I cannot thank you guys enough for listening to this episode. My goal is to bring you as much free value as I possibly can. And so we cannot thank you guys enough for listening to this. I want every single person listening to this podcast to become a multimillionaire and have the best investment returns they possibly can. Thank you again for listening to this episode and we will see you on the next episode. Everyone's heard the saying, you have to spend money to make money, but everything in life from travel to starting a business is expensive, which is why I want to tell you about a new podcast I love that will teach you all the tactics, tricks, and tips you need to upgrade your life, money, and even travel all while spending less and saving more. It's called All the Hacks, and it's a top-ranked show hosted by my good friend, Chris Hutchins a financial optimizer, an entrepreneur who's racked up millions of points, and he sold two companies. And if you want to rethink the way you're spending money, you have to check out the episode 91 with Bill Perkins and why you should be optimizing for net fulfillment and not net worth and striving to die with zero. All the Hacks has something for everyone, and I'm sure you'll find a new tactic that you can apply to your own life, whether it's a money hack that increases your net worth or a routine change that boosts your productivity. So check out All the Hacks. That's All the Hacks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your wallet will thank you later.